This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. In five, check for sound. Four, it's showtime. Three, let's two, go. One, This is the Pro Audio Suite, a podcast for audio and voiceover professionals. Your hosts, Robert Marshall from Source Elements and Someone in Chicago. Darren Robbo-Robertson from Voodoo Sound, Sydney. From LA, George Whittam, the Tech to the VO stars. And myself, Andrew Peters, voice talent and home studio guy from Melbourne. Now, thanks to Rode Microphones, let's get on with the show. Welcome to another Pro Audio Suite. This week we have a special guest who will be uh, heading to the Antipodes uh, very soon. Uh, Maurice Tobias, how are you, Maurice? I'm great, aside from whatever cold it, it was I picked up when was in Vegas the last 10 days. I usually It's usually a cold shoulder. Coronavirus. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Now, I was gonna t- we're talking to you because you're coming here to uh, do some weekend workshops in Sydney, in Melbourne, and also heading to New Zealand, across the ditch, um, in Auckland. So, just for, for our Australian and New Zealand listeners, who may not be aware of what you do, can you just give us a brief overview of what you will be doing in these weekend workshops? Well, my focus is always the established, ongoing career. And um, within that focus is what the influences are that keep changing the specs, the requirements, the briefs that the producers and casting people are uh, writing on those scripts and asking people to uh, deliver. And uh, we are a fashion-driven business. Communication in general is fashion-driven. Nothing changes faster now than uh, fashion, which is called fast fashion. And our industry, broadcasting and entertainment, which is fast entertainment and fast broadcasting. There are over 500 new shows at any one time in some state of uh, pre-production or development or whatever. And every time you turn around another service that wasn't necessarily in production is now doing original programming, which is good news for voice talent, especially those who have an established career in promo or in-show narration. But the manner in which stories want to be told is constantly changing. And that's the general focus of what it is that I do, is making sure that everybody is dressed right for the party. Being a talent that's been around for a while, you kind of get into a routine and you find yourself doing the same kind of read over and over and over. And it's very difficult to be redirected well, it's not so much an, uh, uh, a redirection because if something's working, even if you still have one client that knows you and loves you for a certain delivery, we don't take anything away. We're always expanding the uh, professional palette so that we include sensibilities. And it really has to do with when I listen to someone and the vocabulary, the writing indicates that it wants a more contemporary approach, then I'll point that out to the performer. And um, it really has to do with someone's willingness to play initially and then want to shift or want to add new cards to their deck, whatever metaphor you want to use. And uh, I find that, uh, you know, it used to be that some people said, well, I think I'll sit this one out. You know, I, I have an established career and I have people that like to work with me. 
But I don't think that anybody now can actually afford to have that attitude, nor should you. Now, the other thing that's happening in the in the business as well is uh, it's becoming oversaturated with uh, up-and-comers, people who just want to get into the industry that have been working in other parts of, say, broadcasting. This last two weeks in Vegas, I did a seminar. I do my yearly summit for women, and then the summit for men just took place this past weekend. And, you know, that was a big topic of conversation. Depending on who you talk to, the number is in the thousands. And um, I said, you know, I'm I'm thinking of offering through one of the companies I consult with, which is Benstown. Maybe I'd like to do a podcast that really gives these people who are now facing a blank page an understanding that if they want to and they haven't pursued voiceover, the kind of voiceover we're talking about, um, not necessarily the kind of ads they do when they're at the station as part of their air shift. Uh, to understand that they need different materials, they need to understand the different approaches before they put themselves out there, because what will happen is I think a lot of them will go into a a kind of panic mode and put materials together, but that won't get them anywhere. It would then be the idea that they think they're going, well, I'm just going to pivot and go after this uh, uh, aspect of the business but they may not necessarily get the kind of uh, reception they're looking for. And I think I'd like to give them some pointers ahead of time just so that they're prepared for the fact that, you know, I often say I'm teaching you to write with your other hand. Voiceover or voice work is a collection of similar industries, but a lot of times based on where someone is coming from, that's where the similarity really ends. It's, it's interesting, though, because there's so much more involved now with being a, a voice talent. Uh, used to be oh. turning up at a studio and reading a script and someone had set up a microphone for you and hit the record and then you go home. But now, of course, it's much more involved, like you're actually hands-on. And that's, of course, you know, that's George's business now is setting up studios for voice talent. So right. do you talk much about that? Well, also being a uh, counsellor. Yes. Yeah, well, Are you a counsellor? All kind of by default. We're there, they were, you know, so many people are so isolated now that when another human shows up, you know, yeah. engaged in whatever's going on. But as far as the technology is concerned, absolutely, I, I, I think it's essential. I think that you're, you're denying yourself a lot of opportunity and a lot of, I, I'm, I'm fighting the word independence, but it is that you're not so dependent on one, let's say that, you're, you're not so dependent on a single source. Recently in New York, I did a seminar and the yin and the yang of the business was, were sitting right next to each other. There was a woman sitting there who had never auditioned for anything outside of her agent's office or going to the ad agency or going to a recording studio. She did not have a setup at home. And right next to her was a gentleman who'd been pursuing voiceover um, for about four years on his own uh, and doing quite nicely in the non-broadcast area, e-learning and so forth, that when he walked into the recording studio in New York, that was the first time he had ever been in a for real recording studio. And so, you, you know, right there, you have the contrast between how it was and how it is. And she was listening to, you know, people talking about, 
working from home and, and self-directing and so forth. And I could see that it was, you know, it was very, uh, it was rather traumatic for her. This is a fairly young woman. This is not someone who's, you know, been around for a long time. And all of a sudden, in, you know, a waning years of her career, she has to retool. This is someone who has a good bunch of decades ahead of her. But there are talent in the major markets, especially if they do on-camera theatrical. They're even, you know, quite well-known performers working in theater or on screen that just look at voiceover as filler. It's the companion career for them. And so they're in a position where they can pick and choose uh, or just don't feel like they want to make themselves available when they're uh, in rehearsal or, you know, on, on a set or whatever. Most part, the people that are my focus are the established, ongoing career voice talent. You know, that to me is, is where so much of my focus has always been. And, um, and this is the, these are the people who need the information almost on a daily basis you know, to stay in the game and keep uh, growing the career. As you know, when you get to Australia, things are somewhat different to the uh, American model. Uh, in yes. fact, I know, you know, some really top flight talent. You go to their house and see what they perceive as adequate to do a voiceover from. Yeah. Is that something else you would talk about in your workshops? On one hand, I'm sure there are people that say, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If nobody's complaining, they're not going to make the investment. But I feel, you know, it's the same way when when uh, working remotely became a thing and talent said, gee, I could work in my uh, my underwear. And I said, well, I, yes, just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> and I think it's the same thing. You know, you know what it feels like when you get dressed like you actually are going to see other humans. And uh, I think it's the same with your equipment. I mean, when you think about going into business, what the you know, the low the, uh, it's a very modest level of investment to put yourself in a in a position to be a working professional. You wanted to buy a franchise of a fast food company if you could even get your hands on one, it would be millions of dollars. And by this, you know, so you're putting yourself in business. And I think that as time goes on, especially once you start being established and making money, you owe it to yourself in your career to, um, you know, step up and have the very best that you can, especially because you want that to be the impression, you want that to be the statement. I think it's very important. I mean, I definitely have clients here in L.A. who don't have much of a studio at home, more than, say, a USB mic in their walk-in closet. But some of those folks are just purely doing animation. Mm-hmm. So they're just trying to get a clean enough animation audition out, and that's mm-hmm. really what they need to do. Mm-hmm. But um, certainly there, there are some who get away with whatever they can get away with. And uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've even had a few celebrities have me set them up with a get-away-with audition setup but it's still considerably better than what they may have done prior to that, which would have been phoning it in, like literally on a phone. Yes, literally. And, you know, if you're, you know, in the jungle shooting a film, that's understood. But, um, but you know, the truth is so much work, especially in commercial, will now go to finish from the audition if it is good enough that, you know, why limit yourself with the... Uh, you know, so-so equipment 
And um, that might be the very reason they choose another read because the clarity is there, the, the richness is there. They don't have to book the studio and re-record. And if it's something that's a little more disposable, uh, they just might go with someone else because, you know, your, your quality just isn't there. It's not, it's not bookable. It's not on-air quality. Oh, so I'm going to take that soundbite and I'm going to put that on my website. Okay. Because, uh, I mean, I've told people this, but to hear it from you is a uh, lot more value because, I've, you know, I tell people a lot of things that I have to just basically surmise or assume mm -hmm. is true. You know, I've been telling voice actors that the audition quality does matter and that things can go to finish if it's recorded well. So it's so great to hear it from you. It's very validating. Thank you. I, you know, I, I always appreciate, you know, the other aspects of the business that, you know, you have so few ways of actually making your case for yourself. Why limit yourself? You know, it's not a game. You know, there's some people that I think they think they're getting away with something. They're, you know, being smart asses in some way. Well, how's that working out for you? I mean, <laughs> why? Why? Why, you know, why do you want to chintz on something that's so very important? I mean, this is where the rubber meets the road, and it should be as good as possible, as rich as, as possible. And they should sit there, and if they're not changing the copy and the timing is the same, they can use it, and you're a hero. This could be an interesting question both for you and George, actually. And, and I was, I, when you mentioned in Vegas, you did two workshops, one female, one male. Mm -hmm. Males and females work differently, I, I'm assuming, and that's why you do it. Um, it's just, it's not that they work differently, although, you know, there is so much more work out there for men still. It is the, for want of a better word, the emotional, sociological uh, differences of being a creative man in our culture and being a creative woman in our culture and what the pressures are in for each based on being a male or a female, having a family, having other commitments. It does break down just in terms of temperament, uh, the different levels and layers of life that each one has to pay attention to. And so I, I do these, what starts the year the Women's Summit and the Men's Summit. It's invitation only. These are top-tier talent because just that alone is a different way of experience this business. When you have uh, a body of work to stand on, when you have a reputation and you see, you know, so much swirling around you that you have to make an adjustment in the business, in the various ways that work can be coming to you. It's a, it's a very, very different conversation. How do you find the difference between males and females, George, with what you're doing? Uh, I'm afraid to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, it's um, it's well, really it, hard to quantify. I mean, uh, you know, it's so easy to just land on stereotypes that, you know, women don't like technology, blah, blah, blah. But in the world of acting, it doesn't really seem to correlate as much there's plenty of male actors who hate the technology of all this stuff and would rather not have to do any of it um and there's plenty of male actors who don't have a propensity for this stuff or an aptitude for it so you know and then there's women who are extremely driven to want to learn it all who need to yeah. who need to know everything even though they don't need to do everything and then have to talk them out of trying to learn everything because they're so enthusiastic to learn 
Mm. So it's just so interesting how um, there are certainly some differences, but it's not as dramatically, I don't know, because there's so many exceptions, I hate to draw any assumptions. I would from a performing point of view or, you know, how the, the psychology, especially with auditions, men feel they have to prove, they have to win, they have to slay the dragon. So they're, you know, always wanting to work to earn their success. Whereas women uh, have a little more of a proving, belonging kind of uh, conversation. And this, by the way, as we speak, is changing because the whole psychological environment that we live in is changing. The differences, the individual differences, the uniqueness of each person and the different ways that our dials are set. So that's changing as we go. And uh, I think it's, you know, it allows men to be more sensitive and women to be um, much more competitive, for, for want of a better term. And, you know, all the boundaries are very, very quickly falling away. And I personally think it's great. I worked with someone who was a female impersonator years ago who also wanted to pursue voiceover. And uh, his business manager said, well, how would you? He said, he sounds very feminine. What would you do? I said, I wouldn't say one way or the other. I said, because in the listening of the ad, to the ad, if people were still trying to figure out if it was a male or female, guess what? They're having to pay more attention to it. So I said, you know, I can always spin something for it to be to someone's advantage. Uh, did a lot of work with Doyle Dang Burnback when I was in New York. And one of their slogans was to take the disadvantage or the perceived disadvantage and turn it into the advantage. And that was many of their very well-known campaigns emanated from that premise. I just saw a spot that was, I think a dove spot was totally androgynous. Yes. Oh, I'm seeing more and more on scripts, male or female. And that's, you know, that's terrific. I actually worked on an audition uh, right before I went to Vegas that was strictly for female. And as I read it, I said, there's nothing here that's strictly one gender or another. I'm excited that they're looking for a female. I think it was for uh, finance or something, you know, a, a generic product as well. You know, I thought to myself, oh, now we're working in reverse. Then it'll be, uh, you know, binaural <laughs> next. And, uh, <laughs> I, I want to make up a T-shirt. You know, years ago it would say, what's your sign? Now it says, what's your pronoun? <laughs> <laughs> right. So what's the advantage in of being someone who is unique in a marketplace? That's the keys to the kingdom. It's all about standing out from the market, from standing out for the, the, the crush of talent that are available. And, you know, it's a, it's a multi-layered response because it's not just that. It's not that you're unique. It is your point of view is something they have to buy into. Because basically my feeling is once you get past the sound of the voice, which is the delivery system, why certain people book more than others is based on the point of view, the way they see the world, the attitude, the style, the humanity within the container of the message. And that's where my focus is on the work is uh, I'll listen to demos and, uh, you know, they're fine. They're well produced and so forth. And when, you know, I'm now discussing it with 
the client and I'll say, the only thing that's missing from your demo is you. And everyone's so busy trying to sound like or be like rather than just being. And um, I have clients who don't get tapped on the shoulder in the grocery store by people and say, oh, you're on the radio. But the manner in which they tell their stories is so fabulous. That's why they have this great career. You know, if I could change the word voiceover to storytelling, I think it's a much more accurate representation, especially now. You know, everyone needing, every company and every business, every network needing to tell their story, to tell what they stand for, tell what their initiatives are, what they care about, because this is the demand of the ruling class. And the ruling class, in my mind, are the people who can buy, who have the purchasing power or the influence power to make something a success or not. And that's another area that I focus on in my seminars is the cultural conversation, the social cultural conversation that is driving the reason you're being asked to deliver a script a certain way. And the more you understand that, the better you will be at making that shift, not to make you sound like a 12-year-old, but to, you know, 12-year-olds are very concerned with certain issues. You know, basically, they're, you know, the 15-year-old is now, you know, one of the most influential people on the planet. And their attitude to the rest of us is, well, gee, thanks a lot. Look at the legacy you're delivering to us. And they're committed to shifting that legacy. And companies are lining up like crazy to show, yeah, we are too, we are too. It's a, a reversal from what I, I call the parental uh, manner in which media used to handle the audience. Look at the manner in which uh, ads were delivered post-World War II. The model of perfection. This is how, if you want to live the American dream, this is the car you'll drive, this is the dishwashing liquid you'll use, and so forth. Very different conversation now. Now it's, well, this is dishwashing liquid that's ecologically sensitive and a portion of what we uh, bring in, we give to uh, third world countries for clean water and on it goes. Very different manner in which we're speaking to our audience because the audience is sitting back and saying, yeah, show us, you know, where your heart is and then we'll think about buying your product. Yeah, it's funny how you talk about fashion, which we opened up with. It is very fashionable now, especially with Greta. Um, yes. That all of a sudden, my daughter, who's 15, is now booking work for, you know, universities, uh, talking mm. about, as a, as a teenager, talking about these issues. You bet. I mean, that, you know, if, if, if people aren't paying attention to that, they aren't paying attention to where we are today, in this moment in time. And it changes very quickly. You know, I've often said the artist leads the culture, and it only takes one to create a complete shift in the paradigm. So being able to get to that point, how do, how do you make someone feel completely and utterly comfortable uh, stepping out of their comfort zone? Well, I'd have to hear how far away they are from comfort first. I don't have general rules. I respond to what I'm hearing. And, uh, you know, it depends on how somebody's responding to a piece of material. And if I feel there is a distance between where they are and where I feel they need to go, 
I, I call it I call it closing the gap. You know, we need to close the gap here, and uh, and it could be that the manner in which someone is reading it is, you know, the first the first instinct is to go to your comfort zone, to go with what's worked for you, and oftentimes there's nothing wrong with that read. That can be the you know the standard read. That might well be the read that goes on the air anyway. But the ad agency or the network, the creative teams, are always looking to push the envelope. So they're asking for something that, you know, will help them distinguish their work as well. And with the hopes that they can then convince the client that this is the direction they want to go in. Whereas there are so many people who feel, you know, the tried and true, let's just keep going in the same direction. But what happens is that it creates a tone deaf response in the audience, if they're hearing the same old, same old. So we did a, um, a quick show just a couple of weeks ago about auditioning. And uh, one thing we talked about was actually, you, you look at the brief, you kind of think, do I trust the brief or should I just trust myself and go with it? Send in two takes. Send in one that acknowledges and respects the specs and then send in one that has a little more of a, de- not necessarily a departure, but takes a little bit of a risk. Or, you know, and again, I'm speaking generically, it would, uh, when we have something, you know, a piece of material in front of us, then it's, it's much easier for me to, you know, uh, think about this or say this line ahead of time, uh, use the words to describe themselves in a certain way. I mean, my whole theory about directing is putting an actor in a state of mind. So that's how I work. I look at the material and I think about you know, what the outcome is that I'd I'd like to hear. And then I don't tell them how I want them to read it. I set a scene for them. You get something very fresh and very original from the performer rather than them parroting back what you've just done. Did you catch Robert De Niro's interview on PBS the other day? I did. So it was really interesting. He he was was just talking about, like, the craft of acting. And I, like, one of the Mm -hmm. biggest takeaways I took from it was he uh, he said, my advice to all young actors is when you go in an audition, assume you're not going to get the gig and try something Mm -hmm. bold. Because if you go in there and just try something conservative and you're so worried about not getting the gig, you probably won't get the gig. The trying to get the job read never books because you can smell the desperation. It is the doing of the job. It is the ownership of it. What they thought they wanted and what they wind up with, you've had the, you know, you've had the uh, experience of hearing something you auditioned for on the air, and it's different. If they had only told me that's what they were looking for, well, they didn't know that. Somebody gave it to them. The artist leads the culture, but always respect what they've written or what they tell you, because otherwise you're setting up an adversarial relationship with them. So respect what it is, give them as best you can what it is they think they're looking for. And then, you know, something that uh, is a little cheekier, a little more interesting, a little more something, but mostly it brings you forward. Which do you put first on the audition? Your take. Bet on yourself. Three seconds. Same thing with a demo. You've got three seconds. You know, I when I produce demos and the, the agents go, well, you know, he's been working with this. And I say, yes, he's been, that's, that campaign's been out there for five years. And, you know, producers are very aware of what's going on. 
And so they listen to the demo and it opens with that spot that you're very well known for. Are they going to go any further or are they going to say, as they've said to me, show us, show me something I don't know. They're very ADD, captivate them. Is that spot going to be somewhere on your demo? You bet. Of course it is because they want to make, you know, we want to make sure they know it's you. But if you're doing a new demo and you've got an established career, you've got to surprise them in some way, intrigue them, engage them. What's the right way for me to deal with the customer that comes to me? You know, come to me to, you know, not coach them, but to make them sound great in their recordings. What's the right way to tell them that, you know, they've been chasing the right mic for two years, but not chasing the right read, not pursuing their acting they're just so caught up in the gear. They think they're not yeah. picking because it's their equipment. What's the right way to break that to them? Because I have to do that all too often. Yeah, well, what's the one thing that they do that no one else can do? And that is the read. It's the read, the read, the read. Everything else are bells and whistles. They're toys. But I had a client, it's probably about six years ago. So and that's relevant because she did the audition on the iPhone because she was on a camping trip. It was great that she even got a signal. And the agent called and said, you booked it and you've got to come back into town and do the session tomorrow. She said, I'm not coming back. I can't. I couldn't even begin to make it back in time. So the agent called and said, okay, we'll do it on the iPhone. And it was a class A commercial. Our goal is to make them want you. Our goal is that you are irresistible. And no matter what, they want to work with you. And the only way you can do that is tell the story. So she just, just recorded into the voice memo app and then emailed off the file. I, I, I don't know. Now, you just spoke Greek to me. <laughs> I have no idea what that <laughs> Well, when you say the iPhone, I'm sure she didn't literally call and record it over a telephone. I, no, I I'm assuming honestly, she probably recorded it. Yeah, there was some translation to boost the signal. I don't know. I do know that she was on a camping trip, she auditioned, she booked it, they recorded it, and she, you know, she got went back to well, fly fishing. If she was outside, there'd be no, like, reflections in her room to worry about. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's true. The <laughs> iPhone microphone is shockingly yeah. good. Like, if you are in an empty space with no echo, you put the thing, like, six inches to the side of your mouth, and you don't yell and distort the thing, it sounds amazing. Well, You'd they should shocked. stop. How good it can sound! Stop yelling anyway, unless they're doing animation or retail, or sports. Right. Uh, you know, uh, many times if I said to people, you know, it's a microphone, not a megaphone. Let, <laughs> let that instrument. That instrument is there to capture you. You know, it can't capture you if you're running right at it. <laughs> Play a little hard. Put a put a face on the microphone so people realize like there's someone there, and then they might speak normally to it. I reckon the best idea is to actually have a pop filter that's an ear, because basically well, the microphone's an ear. You wouldn't shout into someone's ear. Well, well you may do if you don't like them. But. Mentally, most performers are either reading to impress the person who sent them the script, their agent, the producer. You know, again, that's a, a, that's a proving read rather than a doing read. And uh, that's just a state of mind to get past, because there is a difference. I'd like to go back, just uh, take a couple of steps back. You mentioned three, the three seconds a little while mm-hmm. back, a couple of questions back. As someone who's done casting 
here in Australia for some some of the biggest studios in Sydney. I we obviously we don't audition, we only demo, but from my experience, if I was only listening to a demo for three seconds, I'm not even listening for delivery. I'm listening for tone of voice and style mm-hmm. of voice and all that sort of stuff. So in that three seconds, I guess my question is, can you really deliver anything that's going to stand out in three seconds? Yeah. Or is it? have you just got to nail the tone of voice and then it's, hope that they'll catch to that? It is your intention. It's your relationship to the story that, will grab them. Right. Sorry, the whole casting thing's really foreign to me. (laughs) Well, the truth is that there are layers. The first thing they'll do is they'll just go through the bulk of what they've gotten. Yes, yes, no, no, yes, yes. And then they'll go back. You want to make the cut or them sending you a check. But it is the manner in which you engage. You know, in theater, the, um, the saying is the performance begins before you break the wings. So many people start a read and maybe three or four sentences into it, that's where they hit the zone. Well, by then, everyone's gone. Everyone's left the building. God, it's such a tough process, isn't it? It's amazing that you compare it to to here where, you know, we pick up it. Well, these days it's online, but back in my day when I was doing the bulk of my casting, you'd pick up the CD and skip through all mm-hmm. the voices until you found someone. It's such a completely different way of doing things, isn't it? You said the word skip. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not yeah. like you sat down with a glass of wine and you know a, a yellow pad and said, "I'm going to listen to every one of these demos all the way through." Yeah, no, yeah. of course yeah. not. You're yeah. like you're going to taste test. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. no, no, yes, yes, yes. Then go back. Yeah, give and them then, the yeah. yeah, have they done something that's similar to this on their demo? Yeah, yeah. So based on the based on the three second rule, if you're slating the the audition, do you slate in character? Yes. Don't confuse them. They're scared enough already. Don't scare <laughs> yes, them. That's, <laughs> that's very up? unkind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, you know, just looking out for everyone here. You know, yeah. give them what they're looking for. Um, there's a, a, yeah, because I remember somebody giving me the defense of, well, I want them to hear my normal voice. Well, maybe they're not looking for your normal voice. And, and again, don't confuse them. Should a talent have an agent or a manager? Mm, it depends. I have some clients who have built really, really wonderful, lucrative careers all on their own. Most of the time, it's a lot of the e-learning. It's a lot of, uh, you know, even audiobooks and so forth, work that is more accessible to them as an individual. But for some of the work, much of the work that is considered to be the show-off work of the business, the high-end commercials, and so forth. That work does come through agents. As far as managers are concerned, that's a whole other conversation has to do with pursuing mostly promo and trailer. And then I have my very short trailer conversation, which is write the word trailer in disappearing ink. Is there still trailer work around? Absolutely. But there are more people pursuing it, and there are fewer and fewer uh campaigns that are using the voice all the way through. They'll use it for the TV trailer. They'll use it for the internet. uh, They'll use it intermittently for certain markets. It depends on the film itself. Uh, Foreign films usually have more words spoken because you have to explain the film to the audience. There, you know, it's really a crapshoot in terms of where a voice is going to be used and where it isn't. 
It's not an exact science, but overall, the trailer world has become a very, very narrow keyhole in the sky. And if you, you have to have the right relationships to get access to the auditions. That's why in the last five years, I've only produced four trailer demos, even if they were going to use it to go after higher end promo for networks or big campaigns for season launch or whatever. As long as I felt personally that this would be a useful tool to someone because they had the agent relationship, the management relationship that could open those doors for them. Of those four demos, these are all people now doing trailer and higher end promo. So it's it's a calculated uh, judgment that I'll make. But for somebody who is out there in the hinterlands or someone who has put a trailer demo together for themselves and send, is sending it out, they're aiming at a blind target. It's not how the work comes to them. That, and it's not how the producers send out the work. They go to trusted resources and they turn the work around very quickly. I've spent a lot of time with my voice actor clients sometimes. That's why I was joking about the counseling. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've heard quite a bit about the inner workings of the trailer business in particular. And boy, it's what a night- bizarre little niche. Nightmare. And the people who run the uh, trailer houses, m- many of them over the years are screamers. And uh, it's, a, it's a very, very abusive re- uh, environment for people who are the engineers and the editors and so forth. And uh, the last thing they need is to take a chance on someone and not come through with the exact nuance of delivery, even if it's just the title. Rated R. Rated R. First Friday. Is it a warning or is it telling me how much fun I'm going to have? You know, what are you (laughs) saying with it? Am I going to have gone an adventure? I mean, it doesn't matter how little... You know, the volume of the words doesn't matter. It's the intention. And these people who are on that bench have worked very, very hard for many years to learn how to nuance the little bit they get to say. There was a patch there for quite a while where basically there wasn't a voiceover. It was all um, sort. It's uh, still a crapshoot here. Uh, There's still, um, if you go to the cinema, you will hear uh, trailer after trailer, see trailer after trailer without a voice. I wrote an article for LinkedIn a couple of years ago. I think I need to do an update. And the title was The Audience Misses the Voice. See, for me, it's about the audience and the contract that we had, which was the anticipation and the excitement and the appetite that's built up with the trailers. It's like, the coming attraction logo would come on the screen and everybody go, shh, 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 here come the trailers, here come the coming. And that great voice or those great voices would draw us in and take us away from the mundanity that we just had to park and go get popcorn and who wants this and, and where everybody's sitting and so forth. But without that voice, you don't get the same attention. They have had a lot of equity over the years with that relationship that they're not cashing in on. Because I think that that contract of being enveloped by a voice that told us we're not alone, it's very comforting. So is that a budget thing? Is that, is that, is that studios going, it's money we don't need they, to spend? They may say that. It's arbitrary. They're, the amount of money that's spent on selling a film is triple the budget. 
They're not. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's just very arbitrary. While we're on budgets and finances for a second, I, just to give me some understanding of the, the American voice market, it's my understanding that in the States, there's no such thing as a radio various that we have here for voice artists as in terms of a billing. What is that? Okay, so here in Australia, we have a radio various schedule on their voiceover fee structure. So if I am the commercial producer at a radio station or a copywriter at a radio station, I ring the voice agency and I say, I want to book a, a various, a radio various, and the voiceover comes in. And so what I get for my dollars is instead of six versions, which you would get for a radio spot, a norm for like say for for a, a big brand, I get six ver- I get six scripts, but I, they can be anything. They could be Joe's Mechanics, Reg's oh, Fruit I Market, see. Cole's Supermarket, blah blah blah. It's my understanding you you guys don't have that over there. Is that no, right? That goes back. That goes back because when I first went in and went to uh, England, in the Midlands, there was a whole group of people that were itinerant voice talent. And they would drive from station to station around the area. They would read all of the scripts for that day. And whether it was a mattress store or a car dealership, that voice read everything. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, pretty much. But it's so, so it's a set fee. So it's, I think, right. AP, it's $360 or something like that. And, and yeah, something like that. Yeah. So you, you, and it's five reads. So you five go in there and it's okay, up, up, up to five scripts. I would say so. probably see some of that still uh, occurring in uh, England, but they're not driving around anymore. They're working from their home studio. In the States, that's called radio. Well, there are two kinds, radio imaging, and then there's the commercials for the station. Most of the time, the commercials are read, if they can get away with it, with their on-air talent. It's tacked on to the end of their air shift where it's called rip and read. And they just Absolutely. <laughs> we I remember that, it well, don't we, Robbo? Yeah, yes. I mean, I, that's how yeah. I started As my career here. To being radio imaging talent, where they are booked yeah. either through their agents or directly or through a company like All Access or Benstown or whatever. So it's a different, it's a different schedule of payment. It's a different kind of work. But the kind of uh, bulk rate that you're referring to doesn't exist in the States. The reason I raised the question is I, I had an interesting conversation on Facebook with a guy who, funnily enough, Robert, is, is working at a station in Chicago. Uh, no names, no pack drill. I don't want to dob anybody in here. But he's in a situation where he's producing commercials for this station. I think he said he's producing between 25 and 30 spots a day for this station yep. with no voice budget <laughs> and, right. and little help from the jocks. So he's actually in desperation reaching out on Facebook going, hey, are there any other guys in the same situation as me? Let's voice each other's stuff. Ah. <laughs> uh. and, and so it, and when I had the conversation, and, and that's how I was sort of aware that you guys didn't have a Radio Various, it occurred to me that do you think without having some sort of rate schedule like that, do you think you're opening the doors to the sites slash services that cheapen the business? Oh, how about Fiverr? Yeah, absolutely. I have heard yeah, more yeah. So, so I guess, I guess my, my concern, looking from this side of the glass, not being a voiceover artist, and that's why I'm looking for your side of it, I, I would have thought you're opening the door for these Fiverr, Rip and Read guys who, you know, I'll do your spot yes. for $5. And then that becomes the norm. That becomes, well, hang on, I can get it on Fiverr for $5, right. but you guys want to charge me X. Well, A, 
Who's saying that? That's the the um, production director or the station. Well, yeah, owner. I mean that would be the. St- I can imagine that would be the bean counters at the station at least right. going. Well, right. why are we paying right. this when we could get it problem, for this? Problem is the industry at the uh, at that level in that aspect is unregulated, and so it's it is a border town, and it's up to talent to hold the bar high and say, uh, this is my rate. Same thing on Voices.com or Voices123. Just because they post the rate doesn't mean that's the rate you have to work at. And, you know, it's a constant battle. And it's a constant battle to, you know, enforce and hold the bar high. And, you know, the reality is they get what they pay for. If they can't hear the difference, if they don't want to hear the difference, someone said to me a long time ago, you can't have an argument with someone who won't accept your evidence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's that about? That sounds very topical. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, you know, you, 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 there's a lot of opportunity out there. And as you, as you go up the food chain and there's the argument for being really, really good at what you do, George, for the people who think it's about their microphone. Well, if they want to wallow in middle earth, let them. But the fact is that in order to get to the higher paying work, the classier work, the more rewarding work, you have to be really, really good at what you do. Yeah. That's right. And then when you are really good at what you do, then you can go and buy the fancy microphones. Yeah. Which you don't brag about anymore because everybody everybody assumes you've got one anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, this has been uh, enlightening. And if anybody in Australia and New Zealand want to catch Maurice, um, you're doing Sydney. You'll be in Sydney February 29, March 1st at the Sound Kitchen, Melbourne, 14th and 15th of March at Bang Bang, and Auckland, 7th and 8th of March with the studio to be advised. Right. Beautiful. Well, that was, that was fantastic. Really appreciate you joining us, Maurice, and looking forward to seeing you in Melbourne. Same here. This show was mixed by Voodoo Sound, edited by Andrew Peters, using Source Connect Now and Rode Microphones, with technical support from George the Tech Whittem. Don't forget to subscribe and like us. You're not